Hello, and welcome to She Dynasty. I'm Valerie Moisel, and these are the women who rule. Welcome back to She Dynasty. I'm very excited to announce that this is the first ever podcast interview that I've actually done virtually. So we're doing it through um, Zoom software, which is really fantastic because what this is going to allow is for me to open this possibility up to many, many more women because now I can really open it up to anybody in the world. So I'm super, super excited about that. And today we are going to be speaking with Afton Veshery. And she is the co-founder and CEO at Modern Fertility. And I'm very, very excited to talk about her journey and what she does because it's a topic that's so, so important. Modern Fertility is a women's healthcare company focused on making fertility information way more accessible for women everywhere. And Modern Fertility also offers the very first comprehensive test that you can actually take at home, which allows women to take their fertility into their own hands. And you know, after listening to some other um, interviews and podcasts that you've done, she talks about really taking a proactive role in your reproductive career. So I wanna talk to her all about what that means because that seems like a new and exciting kind of term that wasn't something that was really around when I was planning my family. So we're excited for that. So hi, Afton. Hi, well, thank you so much uh, for having me. It is so fun to be joining digitally, but see you over the, the screen from San Francisco. So um, yeah, this is, this is great. I'm very excited to be here. Well, thank you. So as you know, She Dynasty is very much about um, you know, what you've achieved and how you've gotten to where you are, but we want to hear a little bit about your journey. And we're going to talk all about modern fertility and what it is that you guys do. But before we get there, I just want to talk a little bit about your background and how you've gotten to where you are today. As you know, we have kind of our four S's um, that we talk about. So we're going to talk about some of the sparks that you've had kind of in your, you know, your early career. So I understand that you grew up in rural Maryland. And you mentioned that you've been an entrepreneur since you were very, very young. Can you talk a little bit about your very first entrepreneurial experience? Oh gosh, well, very first, I don't even know. I was always like making up games for my little brothers to play with me and charging them money or, or fake money to, to do it. But I would say that the, the first kind of real entrepreneurial experience that I had um, was when I was in high school. And I think it really was at a point in time before I even knew what entrepreneurship was, but I, uh, I loved science. And um, as part of you know, going to, to public high school, every kid had to do a science fair project. And so um, I noticed that we had randomly uh, had to start drinking from uh, bottled water at school. And so I asked a few of my teachers, you know, why, why did this happen? And they said that uh, our well that supplied the, the school had failed its routine test. And so I was like, oh, uh, that's, that's interesting. And so I went home from school that day and I asked my parents, hey, when was the last time we got our water tested? And they were like, oh, when we, when we moved in 15 years ago, go. Wow. Like, oh, whoa, uh, that, that's interesting. And I, I later learned that uh, public facilities that had, you know, a certain amount of people drinking the water had to uh, have routine testing, but that same legislation didn't apply to private households. And so for my science fair project, I just went around and, and started testing water quality of my, my neighbors uh, and found uh, several of the wells were completely contaminated. Mm -hmm. And 
yeah, so that um, led to, to one thing after the, another. I ended up doing uh, the project on a much larger scale uh, and realized that if you had a contaminated well, wells in close proximity had this higher risk of being contaminated. And I was so excited about my findings. I presented them to uh, the Department of Health at the time. And in response, uh, they threatened a lawsuit against my family. <laughs> and wow. I was 13 at the time and I just didn't even know how to process it. And I think it was the first time where I realized, oh my gosh, like science can be so great. You can discover all of these things, but if you don't really see them all the way through, then, then what's, what's the point? And so I ended up starting a water quality testing company to test the water quality in the, the community. And we were focused on explaining why you should do this to community members and setting up low cost testing. And we found contaminated wells in the community every week. Wow. So you were like a young Aaron Brockovich in a sense. <laughs> oh gosh. I think, you know, I just became obsessed with this intersection of business and, and science and really got to experience entrepreneurship, I think, before I even knew what the, the word was and got to understand just what it felt like to, yeah. to build something and uh, just be able to, to make an impact in, in people's lives. And it was, um, it was fun. I think that's such an interesting um, starting point, like such an interesting spark that you met that point of where, like you said, science met business and, you know, carrying that through to your career today is incredible. And I love seeing those patterns in all the women that I speak to, that they have these moments in their childhood that really kind of foreshadow, you know, who they become as, as they grow up. So that's pretty amazing. Okay. So after high school, where did you go to college? For college, my, my parents weren't really a fan of, of college visits. Uh, so my, my uncle took me around and we um, visited a, a few campuses and uh, Wake Forest University had a scholarship that you could apply for for entrepreneurship. And so I applied for that, that scholarship um, and, and got it and uh, was able to attend Wake Forest and got a scholarship for, for entrepreneurship, which was a really weird scholarship to have. It basically meant that I had to, to start companies to be able to, to maintain my scholarship and, and stay in school. Oh, and wow. This, this really cool experience. Um, they had gotten Kauffman Foundation funding, which is this amazing foundation uh, that fuels entrepreneurship in all of these different ways. And so I think for, for so many uh, people, just taking that first step, that's the, the hardest part. It was the hardest part for me and in, in starting Modern Fertility was that, that step where I actually you know, told my friends that I was starting this company and this was what I was going to be working on and spending my time on. Uh, but being in this environment where it was just this constant push to, to take that first step was, um, was fun. So it was a pretty atypical college experience. I went to, to Wake Forest and I studied um, neuroscience, business, and entrepreneurship. So again, this kind of obsession of these, these worlds of, of science and business mixing. It seems like, again, the perfect path for where you ended up today. Um, so what was your very first job out of college? So my first job out of, of school was working at a healthcare private equity fund. Uh, so I had these experiences in college, kind of working on specific parts of, of biotechnology and healthcare, but I was really excited about taking a step and looking at healthcare more broadly. And so it was a, a lower middle market healthcare private equity fund that was attached to a public fund. And uh, my job was to find sectors of healthcare that were interesting, growing, 
something had some consolidation potential and I would kind of map out the whole industry landscape and then talk to all of the companies that I could find in the space. And so I started spending a lot of time in women's health because of my, my personal interest and within women's health, I uh, started spending a lot of time in, in fertility. And I think, you know, when you go back and tell this story, it's really easy to be like, oh, well, this led to this and this led to this. But the reality was, I think for all of these steps, you, I, I, had so much anxiety about what I was going to do next or where I was spending my my time. But in this particular case, spending all of this time around women's health um, has continued to be really helpful. And I think that there was something about that experience that that just really stuck with me and stood out uh, against everything else that I was doing. When I when I was spending time in the fertility space, I learned the business of infertility. I learned the, the science of infertility. Uh, but it was really that emotional aspect that stuck with me as part right. of the diligence process. I was in New York. Um, uh, speaking with these high-powered women executives, and uh, they were telling me, you know, no one ever really told me that fertility decline with age, or no one told me that IVF wouldn't work for for every single person that decided to go through the process. And uh, that experience really stuck with me. And I think that the the flip side of that of of really understanding the the business economics and the profit margins of, of infertility stuck with me as well. It, it wasn't a service uh, that was accessible to, to most women, to most families. And so I just left thinking that there, there had to be a better way. Beautiful. So, so you, you worked for multiple tech, tech startups though, and then eventually ended up at 23andMe, which seems like a little bit of shift of a shift away from kind of the topic of fertility related, but kind of a, a distant cousin. Yeah, you know, when I was spending all of this time, you know, in private equity, in the healthcare system, it, it was hard for me at times because you were just looking at the incentives of the healthcare system and realizing that in so many cases, they weren't aligned with the best interests of the public. And I think that, you know, spending all of this time and looking at how all of these different companies made money, I just, I, it, it was really hard. <laughs> and at the the time, I, I think I took um, the, the 23andMe test back at, uh, in, in 2011 um, when they were you know continuing to to gain momentum I just was so interested in these direct-to-consumer companies that just really put the the power back in the hand of consumers and allowed women allowed customers to to craft their own journeys and really understand what was going on in their own bodies and so uh, making that step from from healthcare um, into the direct-to-consumer portion of healthcare to me was just I was really excited, especially at the the point in time that 23andMe was. They uh, were shut down by the FDA at the time that I joined, uh, and I joined to help them uh, launch the FDA-cleared experience. So really tying together healthcare and direct-to-consumer and, and bringing that to market in a new way was something that was uh, very, very interesting to me. What was your role there? So I was a product manager and I was a product manager running the, the consumer tools division. So it was basically anything that you could do with your genetic information. And so I was responsible for, I kind of inherited all of the, the different tools that 23andMe developers had created over the past decade and was focused on, okay, what do those look like in the new experience? And then what else can we bring to market so that you can make uh, the, the most impactful use out of all of your genetic information? So I understand that you had a very personal experience that kind of sparked your desire to create the change in the world of fertility hormone testing. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and how that impacted you and really sparked this idea for the company? 
Yeah. So uh, actually, while I was at 23andMe, I realized that I was waiting until later in life to start my own family. And so I remembered these baseline tests that I had learned about back in, in private equity. And so I tried to get them done. And so I asked my OBGYN um, to order this, this set of tests. And they said, you know, no, why, why would you want more information about your fertility? Just try. And then if it doesn't work, then we'll, we'll talk. And I, I was shocked. <laughs> and so from there, I went into an infertility clinic and I got that standard uh, panel of, of tests. Uh, it was a, a long, um, cumbersome process to actually get that, that testing completed uh, story for, for another time. Uh, but when I finally got the information, it was just so impactful for me to have a conversation with myself, my partner, my doctor about just my, my body, my, my reproductive health. Yeah. Uh, and through that process, I, I got a diagnosis of PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which affects uh, one in 10 women, uh, is one of the leading causes of, of infertility. And I was told by a doctor that I would never be able to get pregnant naturally on my own uh, and that it was okay though because I could come back to their clinic and, and get more care and it was just this completely shocking experience for me and you know since I've been able to, to work with doctors across the US and uh, across the board to really simplify and personalize all of this information to the, the customers that, that come to Modern Fertility for, for more information but it was really just this realization that we need more clinically neutral information to help us navigate our own bodies, our, our reproductive careers, so that we can make the decisions that are, are right for us. Right. I think what you just said is really interesting. A lot of um, women who listen to this podcast are young, young entrepreneurs or um, you know career women starting out. And you know, I think it's really incredible that you proactively, you know, early in your career, made a decision. You knew that you didn't want kids right at that moment. However, you made a decision that you wanted to kind of understand what's going on. And it seems like, you know, up until companies like yours, people were very reactive and not proactive. And I want to understand like why and how you got that kind of bug inside of you to kind of take it in, into your own hands and want to know what was going on before you, know, you kind of saw that you needed to take this in your own hands and proactively be a part of what was going to happen in the future. I want to hear what drove you to that. Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, I think for companies that kind of sit at the intersection of uh, healthcare and uh, consumer interests and just broader societal trends, it was really important to me to start with the science and start really talking to, to doctors. And so uh, after I left 23andMe, I actually I spent um, time in an infertility clinic shadowing uh, an infertility doctor and sitting in on consults and sitting in on financial consults and, and just talking extensively uh, with that physician, but also physicians all across the US to really understand, hey, if, if you were to, to redesign the system, if you were to think about you know, the, the biggest need that the entire uh, reproductive health and fertility space has today, you know, what would it be? And it was really through those conversations, you realized you know, today there's only uh, 500 infertility clinics in the U.S. And so with wow. the rising, uh, unfortunately, rates of, of infertility with one in six couples having trouble getting pregnant, uh, so many of those physicians are just uh, you know, focused on treating this very reactive uh, component with the majority of their practices. But through all of these discussions, through looking at the, the literature, uh, from talking to some of the, the best um, and most smartest physicians across the board, we were really able to come to the, the standpoint and view that the, the 
thing that we could do for women today would be focusing on this information gap and really using information as a, a tool to empower these decisions uh, to happen in the right way. But for you personally, were you thinking, okay, I'm at a point in my career where I'm not ready to have kids yet. However, I want to understand what the future looks like. I want to make sure that I'm on the right path. Again, it's a very forward thinking way to kind of come about it, where I think a lot of women don't get there until they're told that there's a problem. So I guess what I'm trying to understand is, you know, was how did you get to that personal decision that you had to take that, you know, into your own hands? Yeah. I think, you know, I was 22 spending all of this time in the infertility space. And I think that, you know, at 22, I had, I felt like I had this secret window into a world that my friends were definitely not talking about at the time and that uh, they, they might not even talk about at all, but it would, you know, at least be, be 10 years before we had this conversation. And so I felt that I had this, this very unique viewpoint of, understanding uh, what women were experiencing a decade ahead of me. And I think that that unique window and, and viewpoint, I just felt the, the responsibility to uh, really dig in and understand you know, what, what more I could do. And I think that the, the combination of you know, coming at it from that very emotional standpoint, but then really uh, prioritizing the the science. It was really the the intersection of of those two things. Um, and then the the third pillar was really just spending a lot of time talking uh, to to women. My my friends, friends are friends, hundreds of women all across the U.S. to really understand. Okay, how are you thinking about this? Um, do you want more information? Is this something that you'd be interested in? And it was really the the combination of those three things that created modern fertility. And so the message to people is that if you kind of start um, your family planning and really take control of your, you know, reproductive journey ahead of time, if there are issues or complications, you can get ahead of them and you can proactively um, deal with them. Is that kind of the thinking? Yeah, I, I think it's really to give women more information about their fertility earlier in life. Modern fertility comes at a point in time where you know we're we're on the internet, we're online, and we have all of this misinformation telling us to have kids, to not have kids, uh, that it's going to to work after 35, that it's not going to work over 35. And modern fertility was really created to give women clinically neutral information about their bodies, uh, so that they can make the decisions that were right for them. So fertility wouldn't be this this wait and see, uh, mm -hmm. where they could kind of come in with more information about their own bodies to make the decisions that were right for them. And I think you know we're we're living at a time where women are waiting until later in life to start their families. The average age of first birth in major metropolitan cities is 31 years old. And that's a, a trend that we, we don't see reversing. Uh, we also uh, today, 20% of millennials identify as LGBTQ, where the traditional sense of infertility of trying to conceive for nine to 12 months and getting that diagnosis just doesn't make sense. It doesn't apply to them. And so what does fertility mean in this era? Uh, and then we also have the, the third trend of just we're, we're used to more information about everything in our lives. We can uh, dive deep on all of our clean beauty products and understand the inner workings of every single chemical, yet our entire reproductive health, our entire uh, biology is still a black box. And what we, we felt and saw were women are demanding more information about their bodies so that we could uh, work with them to, to navigate this process. Super empowering. And so before modern um, fertility, to get this process done, to go through this, um, tell us about what it used to be like, how much it used to cost, what the process used to be like. 
Yeah. So for me, um, I tried going to my OBGYN first. Um, then I went into an infertility clinic. I got a script to go to LabCorp request to get a, a traditional blood draw done. Uh, the testing, um, if you get a regular period, uh, is recommended to be done on the third day of your menstrual cycle. And I have PCOS, which means I have an irregular cycle. And so even planning and trying to pinpoint that exact day, uh, I, you know, at the time was at 23andMe, a very wonderful, flexible and Employer, but to pinpoint day three and schedule my meetings around leaving the office to go get that testing done, it was it was complicated. And and now uh, with quantum fertility, learning about these testing deserts across the U.S. where there's no way for for women, to, especially those that have an irregular cycle, to request time off and and find a, a clinic and get the testing done. It's just a, a huge problem in accessibility. So from there, uh, I got the test results back. Uh, I just a, a PDF with numbers on a, a page. I had no idea what they meant. <laughs> And so I went in and had a follow-up consult with a reproductive endocrinologist uh, that was was helpful. Um, they walked me through what all of my levels meant, uh, how I should be thinking about my my overall reproductive health. Um, it was through that that broader process that I got a diagnosis of, of PCOS. Uh, but then the the kicker was I got a bill in the mail a few weeks later for fifteen hundred dollars, and it was on top of the cost of. Uh, a consult at an, an IVF clinic, which uh, was $700 in San Francisco. So let everyone know how much does it cost to do the program through Modern Fertility? Yeah. So at Modern Fertility, our price is $159. Uh, that includes testing up to eight hormones, a one-on-one -on -one consult with a fertility nurse, and a weekly webinar that we call an Aganar, where you like podcasts instead of reading, you can join in and, and listen uh, and access to our community of modern women where you can just continue to, to log in and, and talk with other women about uh, what fertility is all, is all about. Incredible. So you've opened up this possibility to, you know, millions and millions of more women who never were able to have the access to do this before. Yeah, it was really, you know, how could we take the exact same tests that were offered today in an infertility clinic and just open this testing up to half the population and then pass those savings along and, and really, uh, yeah, start a, a company and, and build a business model that was aligned with women. Beautiful. So I want to go back a little bit. So you mentioned as you were going through your own personal process, you became kind of a source of info for your friends on fertility. And I'll tell you, you know, even my, in my own friend group, I'm, I'm older than you, but unbelievable how many of my friends um, struggle with infertility. Um, a lot of them, you know, having children later in life because they are very career oriented and, you know, trying to figure out that balance. Um, and even for myself, um, for some reason, I had my first child at 32 and my second one I had, it was so hard for me to get pregnant and I just did not expect that. And, you know, the emotional kind of roller coaster that you go through when you're dealing with that, because I remember having this overwhelming feeling of, oh my gosh, my family is not complete unless I have a second child. And I couldn't explain to people, people would always say, well, you have one healthy child, like, what's your problem? Be grateful. And I couldn't explain or articulate to people how important it was for me to figure out um, that second child. And it was so overwhelming because I started going down the road that you were talking about where I started going to doctors and started doing all the testing. And it was just kind of making me a little bit um, stressed out and neurotic. And I remember finally going to the doctor and him saying, okay, you need to like just chill out because your stress levels are through the roof in this. 
And I just, gosh, I really wish there was something like this because I remember how hard the process was to deal with all those professionals and how overwhelming and daunting and expensive everything was. And it was interesting because, you know, once I kind of let it go, um, thankfully I figured out how to get pregnant and I, I now have my second child, which is awesome. But um, wow, I wish I would have had something like this when I was going through this process. Oh, wow. Well, thank you for, for sharing all of that. And I, I think, you know, at Modern Fertility, I have the, the opportunity to have conversations like this uh, with our, our customers, with women, with friends all across the, the U.S. every single day. And I think that it is just so important that we, we have this conversation in an open way. And I think that this dialogue and starting this dialogue and having it in a way that's empowered by uh, information, clinically sound information, is just is so helpful. And I, I think you know, the point that, that you brought up, uh, secondary infertility, which is infertility after your first child is more common than primary infertility, but, but nobody talks about it because exactly as you said, you don't want to be talking about your uh, trouble conceiving kid number two if your, your friends are having trouble with their, their first. And right. it's just you, every, every person is at such a, a different place emotionally. And that's where uh, just having an open conversation and trying to take away some of the stigma and realizing that these are just all uh, feelings that we're entitled to, but there, there is a large uh, biological component in all of this. And yeah. I, our view is that the more that you can understand the biology, you can just approach this process uh, with more information to, to just help with with the overall navigation process. And then if we combine that with community and the ability to connect with other women and, and talk, it's just a, a safe space to, to have this conversation. And so I, uh, I just, I, I, I love hearing these stories and just think that a platform that allows them to, to be shared in a way that is empowered and, and helps other women navigate their own journeys is just so important. And I think what, you, what you're doing that's so special is, I remember when I was going through the process, it felt so clinical and cold and inhuman, and you're bringing back the human side of this because it's an incredibly emotional journey. I remember as I was going through it, um, trying to figure out how to deal with um, you know, my emotional state of how much I needed and wanted that to happen, but also trying to juggle my career and all these other things and not you know, make people feel like I was melting down because it was something that you know, I needed to figure out how to make happen. But what I love so much about um, your company and you and what you exude is this incredible like, compassion and warmth to, you know, to make people understand that you understand what they're going through and how hard it is. Well, thank you for, for saying that. And this, it was conversations like this that really sparked the pull and the desire to, to want to have this conversation in the right way. And I think that it, it's also fueled the business model um, as, as well. We um, last year had uh, events at uh, major companies in the, the Bay Area, uh, lunch and learns about fertility and, and women's health, where we were uh, going up and, and <laughs> had a, a large uterus on the display. And in the lunchroom of right. these large companies. And we were having a conversation about women's health, about fertility, about science, uh, just out in the, the open. And so I think the ability uh, for employers to embrace this conversation and realize that it's something that they, their employees want uh, and that it's a conversation that needs to be destigmatized and, and just happen in an open setting across the board. And that's the, the mission that we stand behind. And we really try to set up programs to spend our time to, to 
focus in areas that, that support that. Awesome. So I'm going to go back to kind of your career journey. So you ended up quitting your job and you decided to do that and, you know, begin your startup. Obviously, that's a very scary thing to do. What gave you the courage to uh, make that leap? There are some people that, like my co-founder Carly, that never thought in a million years that they would start their their own company. It just wasn't something that they uh, decided that they were going to do uh, in in high school. <laughs> so for me, I think this early experience of loving the the energy of of early stage it was something I I was able to experience at a really long young age and and was hooked. And so I think for me, I also understood that, uh, especially in the healthcare space, I I wanted more experience. I wanted to be able to experience more cultures, to understand more business models, to really um, build something with with all of those frameworks in in place before. And so I I think that there are a lot of amazing founders um, that build companies right out of school, uh, in school, and then uh, much later in their career. But for me, it was really understanding where I was at 23andMe and realizing that that this was the right time for me, um, that I, I really wanted to do something early stage. But when I quit, uh, I actually wasn't focused on on starting my own company at the time. I was open to, to joining uh, another person and, and focusing on their idea. Um, I was exploring a, a a lot of different areas of, of healthcare at the time, kind of using a similar methodology that I had used back when I was in, in private equity. And it really involved me coming back to women's health, coming back to fertility. And it was just this, this concept and this topic that I couldn't shake. And so I right. think when I look back at my career, all of these different uh, steps tie together. But at the time, I think it's really paying attention to your self-conscious and feeling where it pulls you. And there is so much that an early stage company, there's so much that a startup requires of you. And so finding that area that you just can't get out of your head that you're incredibly passionate about, uh, I think it's so important to center in on, on what that is. And that's really what I was able to feel very fortunate to have found with, with women's health and, and fertility specifically. So tell us about your co-founder, Carly, because you guys started this together. Yeah, so Carly's amazing. Um, I decided that I, I wanted a co-founder and I really wanted somebody that was focused on the kind of brand and creative aspects. And I knew that for us to build a proactive fertility company, we had to build something that women wanted to engage with. We had to build a brand that was a safe space that was strong, um, but inviting. And so I just started co-founder dating. And so I was actually, like, that's a, that's an actual thing. Like you put an ad out or how does that work? So I actually, I did put ads out on different co-founder dating platforms. I didn't find anyone through those. That was a good fit. Um, but mostly it was just talking to friends, friends of friends, uh, former co-workers and I would actually pay them out of pocket to work with me. So what that did is it really, um, it, it set the stakes for, for working together in the project. It showed that, you know, I was committed to this thing uh, and it also allowed us to, to work on something and get a real deliverable out of it. And so I was introduced to Carly through one of my friends from college and we started working together on a project and she was at Uber at the time uh, and it really, it, it clicked. Um, she was at Uber, uh, did amazing work there on the Uber e team, all of their creative and, and branding work, uh, and meeting Carly and just working together on these projects and understanding how our complementary our skill sets were. Uh, yeah, we just, we kept working together uh, and eventually she uh, quit and we were off to the, the races. I love it. It sounds like you guys really complement each other well. And I think 
it's really important for people listening to understand um, how smart you were because you have this incredible idea and you've partnered now with someone who knows how to take the idea and the message and put it in, out into the world in a meaningful way. And really those are kind of, I mean, obviously there's a lot of things that you need in the recipe for success, but those are two of the really crucial, crucial things that you need. You can have a great idea, right? But if you don't know how to how to tell people about it, um, sometimes the idea can fall flat, right? So you really did a nice job picking um, who your co-founder would be. So I love that. Yeah. And I think the the really interesting thing is, you know, you look back and we see where we are today and we're still figuring so many things out, but we you know, launched the company and um, within the first few weeks got $70,000 of, of pre-orders. And it was just this unexpected and incredible milestone um, to see women raising their hands and saying, you know, I, I want this product. I want this information. There are so many ideas in the world, but it's really, I, I think it comes down to, to people. It comes down to, to execution and just this relentless pursuit of trying to make the change that you want to, to see in the world. Right. And I understand that when you first started the company, you hit some snags where you got a lot of pushback and rejections with people not really understanding what you were trying to do. Talk about how, um, how you got through that. How did you stay motivated to kind of push through? I think for every single conversation that I had, and there were so many where uh, investors or friends would tell me all of the reasons this was a really bad idea. I was obsessed with having those conversations. Those conversations for me were just as helpful as women talking to me about how they would use the product, what they wanted from it. And I, I think it was really understanding every single point in the business model that I could improve on. I wanted all of that feedback. And so I think when I think about snags, it's really how can you use all of that information and take it in and and build something that's even stronger? And so uh, it was actually, I, I remember specifically seeking out people that would not only tell me my idea was bad, but would then t follow up and, and spend time with me really diving into the details and telling me exactly why they thought it was bad. Because then I could either learn, adapt, decide to, to change or evolve the model or um, convince them and kind of bring them into our, our camp and create an app. I love that. That's actually a really interesting strategy, really seeking out those people that are negative and seeing if you can turn them around. And if you can, then you know that you've got something. You're also you know, figuring out what your barriers of entry are early on so that you understand what other issues people out in the world might have. So kind of solving them before you get there. Exactly. All right. So we're going to go on to... Um, a little bit of the shift. So you've, you know, you've started this company. What was the original mission of the company and has that shifted or changed in any way? We came out uh, really wanting to, to focus on information. We said, you know, we're creating this fertility information company to allow women to have more information about their bodies to make their decisions that were right for them. And our mission and, and vision has stayed uh, really consistent. We are shifting the conversation around fertility from reactive to proactive. And uh, we have a product that requires a lot of, of behavior change. And so I think in order to, to really shift this dialogue, to really shift this conversation on a, a broader level, we're really, we're just getting started. And is there an age that you kind of recommend people, you know, start kind of understanding, um, you know, what their reproductive career might look like? Yeah. So we, our test today is approved for women ages 21 through 45. Uh, the majority of our customers today, I would say are 
kind of late 20s to mid 30s, but it's really quite the range. We have uh, women in their senior year of college that are, are buying the test because they're just so excited to, to set that baseline and learn more about their bodies because they can't believe that this conversation isn't happening in a broader capacity. But we recently launched the ability for women to track your fertility over time and understand that baseline, but also see how your, your fertility is, is changing. And it's often that change that can really uh, play a, a role in your broader family planning decisions. So you do recommend taking um, one test every year to kind of track your progress and kind of see where you are? Correct. Exactly. And, then, and then what does a woman do once she gets her test results? Where do you take it? Do you just hold on to it? Is, it, is there some sort of a database? Can you explain that process? So we allow our customers to consent to allow their anonymized data to be used in peer-reviewed research. And so this is all opt-in. We'll never use your data. We'll never share your data without your permission. Modern fertility is really meant to be another tool um, in, in helping you have more data for that conversation with your primary provider. So today we're looking at the exact same tests that are done in an infertility clinic. We're just taking them out of the clinic and making them much more accessible. Uh, but in the future, we really see a world where women have uh, better predictors of future fertility than just uh, the, these hormone results. So if a woman takes um, one of your tests and she learns early on, let's say she's 21 or 22, that her fertility profile is low, she can use this information to kind of help her in the future. That's kind of the point. Is that right? Yeah. So it's, it's nuanced. Uh, if uh, a woman is 21 and her AMH is very, very low, um, undetectable, uh, it means that we're not able to detect any eggs um, in her ovaries. And this is a condition um, that's typically associated with POI, premature ovarian insufficiency, that affects one in 100 women. Uh, it's associated with premature uh, menopause onset, uh, a lot of cardiovascular health issues, uh, and there are, are no symptoms. You can, can feel uh, great and, and not know that your reproductive health is on a very different page. And because in the U.S., uh, having a baby is not a, a right, it's a privilege. We have no routine screening. We have no mechanisms to detect this early. And so uh, POI is a, a condition that I am personally extremely passionate about because uh, they have the, the right to, to understand their own bodies and, and use that in their, their broader decisions. Beautiful. So I understand you just, you mentioned earlier that when you launched the company, um, you received over $70,000 in pre-orders within the first month of launching the company. What did you guys predict you would get in the first month? Just curious, how far did you surpass your goals? Oh gosh. You know, I think um, I had gone out and talked to, to several venture capitalists and said, Hey, you know, here's, here's what we're building. We believe in this. We want to do it the right way. Um, we we want to build a, a base and a, a company that's going to be around for a while. But the, the number one thing that we want to show is that women want this and then decided, okay, you know, pre-orders is going to be the, the best way for, for us to launch and, and go. But that's risky. I think we, we went out, you know, without a product. We had conversations with three reporters. We had no idea if they were even going to write pieces after we uh, had those conversations and, and what those pieces were going to say. And then watching... Uh, the news come out and then just get the the outpour of, of emails, of comments. Um, we were on CBS Morning News a, a few months later Amazing. to just see the pent-up demand the market had for, for this conversation uh, completely surpassed just what we had anticipated. Beautiful. And, you know, I, with technology changing so quickly, what's next for modern fertility? 
Yeah, so we raised our Series A last year, a $15 million round led by uh, Kirsten Green at Forerunner Ventures. And it has been amazing to, to partner with Kirsten in our, our next phase of growth. And so uh, now we're focused on really listening to our, our customers. And so we're, we're listening uh, and have some new um, products and, and services that we'll be launching in, in 2020. Uh, and then we're also continuing to, to double down and focus on research. Awesome. Well, just in talking to you and seeing you, I can feel and see your passion. And to me, that's really what true success kind of means, just seeing that you're building something that you care about so much. But I want to know, what does success mean to you? Success to me is that fertility hormone testing is as routine as a pap smear. This is something where women have the option to understand more about their bodies in a really easy, quick way, uh, and where we have better predictors of future fertility, we have open conversations about reproductive health, and uh, we're just constantly doing everything that we can to remove the stigma. Well, I mean, again, I don't know how old you are, but you're so young. You already, you look so young and you've accomplished so much already. I can't, I can't wait to see kind of where you take this because it's, you know, it's, it's not often that you find somebody that they have an idea and a passion and the way that you exude it. I mean, there's just no question in my mind that you're going to hit your goal. So, you know, kudos to you for, for that. Cause it's, it's very infectious, very inspiring. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. I think that Carly and I just feel so lucky to be able to wake every morning and, and work on something that we truly believe in. It's what keeps us going. Uh, it's allowed us to, to build a, a team that shares that same point of view. And uh, it's amazing to, to talk to, to you. I'm, I'm such a fan of, of everything that you've built and just really appreciate you taking the time to, to have a conversation about this topic. I think it's, it's so important and it I is. appreciate it. Yeah, so we're going to just go into our rapid fire questions. Okay. So just like one or two uh, word answers, and then we're going to wrap it up. Sounds good. All right. So what is your greatest strength? Taking the first step. That's a good one. I love that. If you could do something else other than this job, what would you do? I'd be working in water quality in some way. My two, my two life obsessions. <laughs> what is your leadership style? Work with people that are a lot smarter than you, that are constantly pushing you, uh, have diversity of perspective, and use all of that to, to build the best thing that you can. What keeps you up at night? Ideas. I think uh, it's amazing to be working in a space that just has uh, so much potential, um, but honestly, there, there's so much further and, and so many things that we need to, to do. And so I, I love it. I love waking up in the middle of the night thinking about something that I'm excited to, to go build and uh, implement. I love that answer. You're the first person who answered that with something positive. So thank you. <laughs> um, is there any advice that you received early on in your career that's really stuck with you? Anything that stands out? Yeah, I had, I had some uh, previous employers that uh, were kind of telling me to, to wait in line to, to wait my turn. And I really think that every step in your career is a trade-off. Um, but really understanding what your goals are, where you want to, to go, and just being mindful around every step. So I've, I've tried to be conscious about that process. Awesome. And then my last question is, what is your actionable advice for those listening who might want to um, start their own company? 
starting a company is just all about little steps and uh, anybody can start a company. You just say that you're starting one and congratulations, you've, you've started a company. That's a great first step and then figure out what your next one from there is going to be. Uh, Modern Fertility was just really the, the culmination of lots of, of little steps stacking on top of each other. Yes, baby steps are still steps forward. I love that quote. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, I think that kind of wraps it up. Again, I want to thank you for taking the time. I'm super excited for uh, my audience to hear you and learn all about modern fertility. Um, there's nothing more exciting to me than someone takes, um, you know, an issue that's really kind of swept under the rug or not talked about and bringing the topic and the conversation to the forefront. And you're doing it in such an incredibly compassionate and warm way. And so I wish you so much success and I'm so excited to see what's next for Modern Fertility. Thank you so much for having me. This you're welcome. Great.